Welcome to Kuhau Podcast. We thank you for tuning in. If this is your first time listening in with us, we want you to know that you are a part of a new loving family. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope that this message encourages you and transforms your life. Now stay tuned for today's message. Let me dive right in. Hebrews 12 verses 1 through 3. It says this. As for us, we have this large crowd of witnesses around us. So then, let us rid ourselves of everything that gets in the way and of the sin which holds on to us so tightly and let us run with determination the race that lies before us. Let us keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, on whom our faith depends from beginning to end. He did not give up because of the cross. On the contrary, because of the joy that was waiting for him, he thought nothing of the disgrace of dying on the cross. I know, I don't have to preach after this. And he is now seated at the right side of God's throne. Think of what he went through. How he put up with so much hatred from sinners. So do not let yourselves become discouraged and give up. My title for today's talk is Run Your Race. Can you guys repeat that with me? Woo! Forget, hold on, I'm, I'm in, I didn't get to see this graphic. That is beautiful. Can we give a kudos to Dyrid for designing this and his stepdaughter, Leora? She helped him. I wish you guys could see this online. But if you tune in, if you just come here next week, you'll be able to see. Anyway, plug in. Can we repeat that? Run your race. No, no, no. Say it, say it, for, say it from your gut. Say it with umph. Run your race. Look to the person next to you and in a socially distanced manner. Tell them, uh, Yvette, that is not, that is the opposite. Tell them, run your race. Say it like you're from Brooklyn. Run your race. Say it like you're really from Brooklyn. Run your race. Let me pray with you guys. Lord, I, I, I thank you for what you're doing in the life of Christ Uncensored. I thank you that even before I knew I would be up here, you had a word ready. And all that was needed was the request and you released it, Lord. I pray that in these next few moments, Reuben is gone. And I may just be a vessel for what you are willing for the life of those in this building, those online, those hearing these words, Lord. I pray in your name, amen. So those of you who know me can see that I no longer have a beard. It's been quite the, quite the topic of discussion. You know what's crazy is like Rich Wilkerson, the pastor of Voo Church, that guy dyes his hair blonde, purple, whatever. Nobody bats an eye. I do like a shape up and I got, I got opinions. <laughs> So I shaved my beard, but th there's a perfectly good explanation as to why. I didn't mean to shave my beard. Um, I was just, so what happened was, 
what happened was is I knew I wasn't going to have time to be up here, but I can't be up here looking shot, right? Like, I can't be up here looking all scruffy. Like, I look like, you know, the preaching is the preaching, but I still need to look pretty. And so I'm like, let me just do a shape-up, forgetting, you know, that I don't have rhythm or coordination or good grip. <laughs> Like, I can't grab, I still, like, I've seen kids grab knives around the family and everybody's cool. I grab the knife and it's like, where, where are you going? Where are you going? Where, 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 I just need to know where you're going to go with it. I'm just curious as to where that knife might end up. So I forgot all this. I said, you know what, let me just do it. And the whole time, you know, I'm like, you know, my, my daddy issues are surfing it up. I'm cursing my father. I'm like, if you would have been here, this wouldn't be so shaky right now. Thinking about how I have three older brothers, not one of them took the time. No offense, Pastor. <laughs> I got three older brothers. One of them's my spiritual father. Still don't know how to shave. He would say he wasn't there for me. <laughs> but but I'm, I'm going through it. I'm trying to work through it. And what happens is there's, I'm, you know, I'm trying to work with the mirror. So if I don't have coordination already, I'm trying to work with like a reflection of me. So I'm off rhythm. He's off rhythm. We just trying to figure this out. And I go right, but in the mirror, it looks like I'm going left. Meanwhile, I'm really supposed to be going up and half my beard comes off. And I'm like, we could save it. We could save this. We, I can make this work. You know, so like I, I get the clipper, I'm like, I'm just going to make the rest match. But for whatever reason, I, I didn't. Um, the, the clipper, like it's, I don't even know how to explain it. This is how bad I, I should just never put a razor. My barber, because I ended up going to him, he's like, what? He's like, bro, just come to me, bro. Even if you don't have money, bro, just stop doing this to yourself. <laughs> anyway, I go to save it, and I'm like... Oh, now this looks lighter than the original Nick that I did. This, this, this side is lighter than what I already messed up. It's so true at how bad I am that today I'm like, let me at least shave this clean. And I nicked, you guys can't see, maybe if we zoom in. I'm, I nicked the top of my head over here. And I'm like, let me just stop before I show up to church bald, right? Like, let me just, but God being God, I'm like, hey, I've been, I've been praying for an anecdote I'm totally using this for Sunday. And so here we are. My eyes got confused. I went left. I zigged when I should have zagged. Now I'm beardless. I don't have coordination. It takes a lot of effort for me to focus on things in life. My personal friends know this. They say me doing something, they'll be like, oh, and they'll just stop talking because they know I'm like, I'm not in the room. And if I am in the room, whatever I'm doing is going to get messed up. It takes serious effort for me to focus. I have to really, like, pay attention to the things that I'm doing. Um, and it makes me think of when I was in driver's ed. And those of you who've driven with me who are like, you've taken driver's ed? Um, <laughs> and Emily, are you guys are having a moment? And I don't like it. I took so many classes in driver's ed. So, and I still can't parallel park. I still can't park. But one of the things that he said to me, I thought it was really interesting, and I thought it was poignant to today's message. He says, I, whenever I would go to turn on a curvy road, I would look at the curve. 
Or whenever we were on an expressway or something and we were close to the dividers, I would start watching the dividers so I, to make sure I wouldn't hit them. And he said, Ruben, Ruben, he didn't say it this nicely. He was a very mean guy, but I'll say it nicely to you guys. He's like, Ruben, Ruben, stop looking at what you're trying to avoid and fix your eyes on where you want to go. Your body will naturally take the car in the direction you're wanting to go. It knows the obstacles are there. It knows there's things in the way. I'm going to make this preach right now. It knows there are obstacles, but if you just focus on what you need to focus on, if you fix your eyes where you need to be, not what you're afraid of, you'll end up where you want to go. And it reminds me, I mean, not it reminds me, but it, it ties so perfectly to what the writer of Hebrews is saying. He's saying, rid yourselves of everything that's in the way and the sin that holds on to you so tightly. But he doesn't say just do this and run with determination. When you're running, he says to do it by keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus. Fixed on Jesus. Can you guys say, run your race with me? Run your race. He says to run the race set before you. I want to quickly give you guys some context. This is an unknown author. Knowing that it's an unknown author, I'm probably going to probably accidentally call him Paul because Paul wrote so much of the New Testament. Everything is Paul. Sometimes I quote Jesus saying it was Paul. So unknown author to an unknown audience, although it's it's assumed they're probably a Jewish uh, Jesus-believing community because he, when he writes this in the book of Hebrews, there's this expectation that they know what's in the Old Testament. Um, and persecu persecution, anytime there's a letter in the Bible, it's to address something that was happening. Anytime. And so persecution is what was happening. They were being persecuted, and it was driving those in, in this community of believers to abandon their faith in Jesus, they weren't fixing their eyes on him. They were fixing their eyes on their persecution. And the goal of Hebrews was to elevate Jesus so that he, they can, he could elevate their faith in him and then encourage them to keep this faith. And so that's the context at where we enter this scene. We're picking up just after the writer of Hebrews. Some of you might know the Hall of Faith lists every, um, he, has, and he has made uh, the case of Jesus' magnificence, and he's listed every person in the Bible who exemplifies faith in Jesus and everybody who's endured in spite of persecution. And then he says, because you have this witness, run your race. He says, and, and I want to zero in here, he says, so then, so then, because of this cloud of witness, because you've seen these examples, because of, of all this, let's do the same. Let's rid ourselves of everything that gets in the way and the sin which holds on to us so tightly. And let us run with determination the race that lies before us. Can you guys say run your race? The writer is, is identifying. He's saying, hey, guys, look, I know that this has been difficult. Like, I, I don't know what persecution feels like. You guys made fun of me not having a beard. I felt persecuted. Um, <laughs> that to me was like, that's persecution. Um, 
He's saying, I, I know that this has been tough. I know he's, he's addressing uh, the trials of their time. And for them, it's been persecution. But I, I think we can retool this for us because we've been going through it in 2020. I mean, that's kind of the theme, right? We've endured a pandemic. We've endured racial tension. We've endured political tension amidst the stuff we already deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. Like, now your husband ain't do the dishes and he might have voted for someone on the opposite party. Like, it's a mess. And I promise you guys, 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 online, quote me on this. Say that Ruben called it. 2020, the phrase, well, the, the term 2020 is going to become a phrase. People are going to be like, you're going to have a tough day. People are going to be like, yo, how's your day going? You're going to be like, honestly, it's a 2020 of a day. Like, it's just, it's 2020. I ain't be like, yo, say less, say less. They be like, yo, how was that restaurant? I heard you went to that Colombian spot. Bro, straight 2020. It's not even worth your time. That joint is trash. That joint is 2020. And then the church community, we're going to spiritualize this. I promise you, 2020. You're going to be like, you may be in your 2020, but God has a 2021 coming for you. It may feel like this year won't stop. Say 2021. Unless 2021 is worse than 2020, that's going to be a whole other thing. But let's just pray that it isn't. 2020 will be a phrase. I guarantee it. But I know, and I think we all know that, that 2020, even before 2020, we've gone through some trying stuff as a country, as a world, on our own. This is just one of the few times in history. I'm really out of breath from that. I need to go back to CrossFit. <laughs> this is one of the few times in history where we're going through it on a global communal, like it feels like we're all going through it together. But can I let you guys know that it, it, it's not going to end here. 2021 is going to have heartache and stress and loss. We are going to be disappointed by our government. Health issues are going to be prevalent. Pain is going to happen. Hurt is going to happen. But what the writer of Hebrews is telling his community, and what I want to let you guys know is this, it doesn't have to get in the way. There may be so much pain and loss and hurt surrounding you guys, but it doesn't have to get in the way of your race. Sin doesn't, sin is going to happen but it doesn't have to hold you down. And I love the way he breaks this down. I've used this verse, I promise you guys, so many times I've read this verse. This is the first time I noticed this. He, he, he paints this picture, and he says it's these things holding you down, but then it's this sin, it's these things in your way, and then it's sin holding you down. And I'm like, oh, man, that's been my life. I become stagnant in situations my movement gets blocked, my path gets blocked, and then sin comes and tries to block me, my own personal movement. The things get in the way, but the sin holds us down. And Paul, uh, see, I almost did it. The writer of Hebrews emphatically says it does not have to be this way. 
As a matter of fact, it, it, it almost ties into what James says. In the book of James, the writer says to consider it joy when trials come your way because pain has the potential to empower your faith. I know it seems weird, but the Bible says it, so we're good. No, there's evidence of this. He says your pain can actually empower your faith. And he explains how this works, but, but what the writer of Hebrews says is simply to just fix your eyes on Jesus. And I know that there's many of us who've experienced this. I know have, like, I know there are people in this room who have had trials that have turned into testimonies. If you're one of those people who have been there where you couldn't even see the light of, at the end of the tunnel, where you couldn't see uh, um, your pain going away, but you found God producing from your pain a purpose that you couldn't have even imagined. If you're in that, this room and you've seen your trial become a testimony, you are, let's, let's give God some praise for those moments. Let's remember those moments because I've been through them. I've been through those trials. And then I find a new trial and I forget. But let's remember right now that our trials can be the things that catapult us into our purpose. And, and, and Hebrews says it doesn't have to be this way. You don't have to be held down. You don't have to be held back. If you, you can actually run with determination, if you would fix your eyes on Jesus, you can run. You can run with endurance the path that is set before you. And, and here's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about how we run our race. And, and in race, he, I believe that the writer is using as a metaphor to, to, to really talk about our life and, and our purpose and our calling. And running our race is just running through the, the path that God has set before us and the purpose and calling that God has placed over our lives. That's what I believe race to be a metaphor for. And here's the thing about your race, about your purpose, and it's my first point. Your race is your race. My race is my race. Your race is your race. My race is my race. I can run with you, but I can't run for you. You can run with me, but you can't run for me. We can run together. We can run together so well but we will never, ever be able to replace each other. Your race is your race. My race is my race. I wish I would catch this. <laughs> this isn't even for you guys. I promise you, like, man, do I need to learn this in my own life. The writer tells us so clean, so cl clearly, run the race that lies, wait for it, before us. Not beside us. To run the race before us, not behind us. You know how often I catch myself looking to the left and to the right and behind me? Looking back while I'm trying to move forward, wondering why I'm stumbling and tripping and falling and, and not achieving the things that I believe that God has already laid out for me. 
And, and it's so important. It, it's so important, the, the behind us part, because so often we will see people on the same path of, as us, in the same lane even, running a similar race as us, and we start yelling at them. I've been there. I'm a leader now. I lead people, and I lead people who have callings that are similar than mine, but because they don't follow the same steps or their run looks different or their speed looks different or I don't feel like they're running fast enough, I start yelling, you need to catch up. If you would just run like me, if you would just run like me, if you would just train like me, if you would just do the things in my life, then it would, and we become frustrated with people because we're looking back wondering why they're not catching up. Or you know what else we do? I do it all the time. We start slowing down. Like, I'm going to let her catch up. <laughs> we start slowing down for other people so that they can catch up. And when we do that, we start reducing the speed. I start reducing the speed at which I am pursuing my purpose. Just so that someone who's not running my race can catch up to a race that's not even theirs. Because your race is, and my race is, and if I'm not looking behind me, I start looking beside me. And I start comparing, forget the race, forget purpose, like forget, oh, they're a pastor. I start comparing like running gear. If I could just, I'm going to just live in this metaphor, guys. I start comparing running gear. I'd be like, Rich Wilkerson can dye his hair blonde. Maybe I'm supposed to dye my hair blonde. Like I start looking at the equipment, like, like homeboys running with Nikes, and I'm like, I got Asics. That's why God's giving them a blessing and not me. Oh, they have a thousand member church. Oh, if we were to have a church in Alabama, we'd blow up. Bro, we, in a week. In a week, a church in Alabama in the Bible Belt. If God would just stop making us change locations. People want to come. They just don't know what address. And I start comparing myself to others. And you know what's worse? Well, the worst thing? When you, it's the worst feeling. When you compare yourself, when you cons you're, you're running with someone that you consider a peer, someone who's in the same lane as you. I'm a pastor, so I'm looking at someone who's a pastor. I'm a 26-year-old, so I'm comparing myself to other 26-year-olds. And when that person who was running with you is now running further and faster, and it looks like God is taking them from glory to glory and speaking all around the world, and you're an associate pastor with debt and living with his mom, and you start comparing and you start saying, oh, this person has achieved this, and God is moving in their life. So he's moving at them at a pace that, that I'm not moving. So I must be doing something wrong. You know how many times I've asked myself that question? Ro has had to counsel me. I literally had an anxiety attack. I haven't had an anxiety attack in years. And I called Ro anxious about my finances, saying I'm 26 and I'm only making a $600 paycheck. I don't know why this is happening. It's been four years and I feel like every year I'm struggling financially. Why? And I had to have my pastor. That's why I'm so grateful to you in my life if I could, for having you in my life if I could thank you publicly. Because he had to say, Ruben, that's... It's like, you, you haven't been focused on that. That's not your race. 
It's not the race you've been running. You've been focusing the past four years on getting a college degree. You've been trying to do everything you can and making a little bit less so that you can focus on ministry because to, if you worked the amount that you needed to work to make the money that you needed to make, you couldn't commit to the ministry the way that you do. And I think this is what you want to do. And I said, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, if I had to make $20 a month, but it allowed me to live the way that I live, committing my life to God the way that I have, absolutely. And I had to be reminded that that's not my race. And let me tell you one of the greatest revelations that God is working in my life. It's your race is your race. My race is my race. But there is a pace for your race. And there's a pace for my race. And I will never, ever be able to run my race at your pace. I've got to run it at my pace. I've got to run it at the pace that God has dictated for me. I've got to move at the speed that God is moving in my life. I have to. And what's, here, let me just move to a real world example of this. I know nothing about basketball except that Dennis Rodman and Michael Jordan are basketball players, and some people think LeBron is better than Michael Jordan, but whatever. There's this Netflix series called The Last Dance. It's about the Chicago Bulls and Dennis Rodman and Michael Jordan, and here's what I do know, that you could easily, well, here, here's what I know. Basketball, the goal of the game is put the ball in the basket. That's why they call it basketball, I hope, to score. But you could easily look at the stats between Dennis Rodman and Michael Jordan on any game that they played and see that Jordan was the one who scored more than Rodman. You could easily look at Rodman because of this and say, hey, don't you know the goal? They're both basketball players. They're both running similar races, aren't they? Shouldn't Rodman be shooting more? Rodman, you need to score more points. Rodman, why aren't you shooting more? Rodman, why do you keep passing? You need to shoot more. Take more shots. Score like Jordan. But if Rodman was to pick up his pace in scoring, he would begin to run Jordan's race, not his. Because although they were both basketball players, Jordan was a point guard, I hope. Yes. And Rodman was a power forward. Can I get an amen if I'm right? <laughs> he was, Rodman's goal was to rebound. And Rodman had, his career average was 11,000 rebounds. 11,000 rebounds. Jordan's, 6,000. But imagine if they would start comparing each other's pace and start getting into each other's lane, even though we're on the same team. And Christ Uncensored, can I tell you that if we are in God's kingdom, we are all on the same team, and we all have a calling, we all have a part to play. Paul, in another book, he says that, that what, what, what would it, like, we are all part of the body of Christ, and what would it look like if the hand started to try to be the eye, and the eye started to try to be the foot? We all have to play our part. Could you imagine if your eye was like, I need to start grabbing more things. That's how you end up without a beard. My body was like, I got it. Um, like I may be a pastor, but the title of pastor 
is not my race. Whatever your calling is, I, I have to preach this in a very personal way. You're going to hear I and me statements because I can only confidently speak about my purpose. I can't say your race is your race and then tell Sheila you're called to be a pastor too. I don't know what the calling is in her life. But whatever God has called you to do is, is your race. God has, what God has called me to be and where he has called me to is, not, is my race, not my title. I have this sense of what God wants to do in my life, but I can't get there. Guys, please catch this. I can't get there by comparing the way he's moving in the lives of others to the way he's moving in my life. I can't say, but he's, he's giving God, John this blessing, and he's allowing John to be a prophet. But if I'm supposed to speak over people, why can't I prophesy? Or even he's, he's giving, I have friends from Nyack College who, who travel around the world preaching globally. And I could easily say, well, isn't that my calling? And start grinding and start trying to get more followers and start trying to get more speaking engagements, engagements and moving at a pace that is not mine. You know what's crazy? Is the Bible says that he has prepared in advance good works for you to do. So before you existed, your race was already set the good, he says he's prepared the good works in advance for you to do them. It says that your steps are ordered. Your steps are ordered. He's, he's already laid out the path. Uh, the writer of Hebrews doesn't say to, to find the race. He says the race is already before you. You've just got to run it. But we find ourselves. I do it all the time, church. Pastor Rowe was a pastor at 26 his race don't look like mine. At 26, he, had, he was married. At 26, he had kids. At 26, he had a full-time paying career. At 26, he had his own place. At 26, he had a car. I, had no, I have none of those things. Yeah, I have none of those things. <laughs> no, it is. It is. And not even a, I will one day. I, I don't want to spend too much here, but not even in a I will one day, simply in a I'm running at the pace that God has set for me. And that's all that matters. That's all that matters. What God is doing in my life is not what God wants to do in Pastor Rose's life and Pastor Lisa's life and Emily's life. It, 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 what God wants to do in your life is what God wants to do in your life because your race is your race. My race is my race. But our prize, guys, what's cool about this is our prize is the same. Our prize is Jesus. My last point is this, that Jesus won the prize, and now Jesus is our prize. I know. Jesus was, won the prize, and now Jesus is our prize. Let's read the, the rest of Hebrews. He says, how are we running our race? Let us Keep our eyes fixed on Jesus on whom our faith depends. They were dealing with a lack of faith. And he says, your faith depends on Jesus from beginning to end. He did not give up because of the cross. On the contrary, because of the joy that was waiting for him, he thought nothing of the disgrace of dying on the cross. And he is now seated at the right side of God's throne. If that's not winning the prize, I don't know what is. He says, think of what he went through, how he put up with so much hatred from sinners. So do not let yourselves become discouraged and give up. The goal of Hebrews 
is to remind believers to not give up. And who does this author point them to? Who does he say is the penultimate example of not giving up? Well, who other than Jesus? Elsewhere in Hebrews, it says that we don't have a, a, a high priest who, who can't sympathize with us because he's been through everything. He's been through every trial. He's been through every hurt. He's been through every brokenness. He's been through every betrayal and rejection and abandonment. And then it says he did not succumb. He won. And then elsewhere in scripture, it says that he won our in, his inheritance. He's the one who deserves to sit at the right hand at th- at of God. He's the one who deserves the glory. He's the one who deserves the prize. But then he gives it. It says he now makes us heirs. And last time I was here, I, I read Isaiah and I detailed how much Jesus endured. And the writer of Hebrews is now referencing this and saying that that's the example. If you want to know what it looks like to see your pain and trials as joy, Look no further than Jesus, because in the midst of his brokenness, he saw each and every one of us being redeemed by God, and he did not give up. And the prize was redemption for humanity. The prize was a world set free from sin so that we could live in relationship with God and on purpose. And that purpose is to draw all people to him so they can bask in the prize of a relationship with God. Your prize is Jesus. Your prize is not a successful career. That may be part of your race, but it's not your prize. Your prize is Jesus. Your prize is not, this is more for, this is, I'm telling this to myself, a mega church. That may be part of your race or a local church in Staten Island that deeply impacts uh, its community may be part of your race. But your prize is Jesus. Your prize is not a relationship. Something I've had to beat in my, into my own head and remind myself. Like, your prize is not someone who completes you. Your prize is Jesus, someone who's already completed you. That may be part of your race. But, but Paul also says that some people are called to singleness. That may be part of your race. But your prize, no matter what your race looks like, no matter what my race looks like, no matter what their race looks like, your prize is Jesus. And Paul understood this so well. In Philippians 12, 21, he says this, my deep desire. Paul is in prison. And and he's, he's thinking they might kill him. And he says, my deep desire and hope is that I shall never fail in my duty, but that at all times, and especially right now, I shall, I shall be full of courage so that my whole being, I, I, that my, with my whole being, I shall bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. And then he says these words. For what is life? And I'm looking at him like, uh, everything? Life is everything, Paul. He goes, no, for what is life? To me, it's Christ. Death then will bring more. But if by continuing to live, I can do more worthwhile work, then I am not sure which I should choose. I am pulled in two directions. He's looking at the options of life and death, and he's saying, I'm torn. 
Because I want very much to live, leave this life and be with Christ, which is a far better thing. But for your sake, it is more important that I remain alive. I am sure of this. And so I know that I will stay. I will stay on with you all to add to your progress and joy and faith. So that when I am with you again, you will have even more reason to be proud of me in your life in union with Christ. Paul doesn't see life or death. He sees Jesus or Jesus. And he says, either in my death I get to live with Jesus eternally, or in my life I get to bring you into maturity with Jesus. He had this understanding, this revelation that that I'm trying to obtain on a daily basis. And it's a a revelation that if, if you would catch, I promise we would all be so empowered. He knew this, that life equals Christ. Nothing else matters. Like if his race wasn't drawing him closer to Jesus or drawing someone else to Jesus, he, he literally, there's, there's this part r- right before this. This is how much he saw the gospel of being of value. He literally um, says, if they kill me, uh, I get to be with Jesus eternally. I'm, I'm finding it. I'm sorry, guys. He says that other people, here it is. He says other people are preaching Jesus for selfish gain. This is what he says specifically. He says, the others do not proclaim Christ sincerely, but from a spirit of selfish ambition. And you would think that he would condemn them, right? Those prosperity preachers. They think they will make more trouble for me while I am in prison. People preaching Jesus for selfish ambition, this is his take. It doesn't matter. I'm happy about it. I'm happy about it. Just so Christ is preached in every way possible. Paul understood that he was running for Jesus and to get people to Jesus. It doesn't matter if other people's race is even for selfish gain. As long as they're leading people to Jesus, Paul said, who cares? Who cares? He said, I'm happy about it. What are you running for, church? Are you running to find fulfillment? Is your race, is your purpose, is your calling, is doing this, whatever you find value in or feel you are purposed in, is that what fulfills you? Are you running from the place of fulfillment that Christ has already given you. Here's the paradoxical nature. Jesus won our prize. Jesus is our prize. So yes, we're running. Yes, Hebrews tells us to run the race before us. Yes, we all have a purpose. And yes, we all have a calling. And yes, we all have a path. However, the fulfillment of your purpose is not your prize. Achieving your purpose and your calling may be the finish line. And Paul alludes to this in 2 Timothy. He says, I've done my best in the race. I've run the full distance and I've kept the faith. But long before he ever said that, he understood that the prize was Jesus. Before he ever finished his race, he understood this. And if I could share it with you, this is a fixed game. 
it's fixed because we run from a place of victory we run from a place of Jesus having already defeated death we come from a we run from a place of Jesus having already said that 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 we are sons and daughters of God we run from a place and before Jesus ever even did that God had already given Jesus his approval it was fixed from the start. You know how fixed it was? It says that before the foundations of the earth were set, that when you read Genesis, that it says in the beginning, there's a prequel because it says that before the beginning, that God had already said that Jesus would do what Jesus did, that before the foundation was set, the race was fixed, the prize was won, you had the victory. See, when Jesus ran, when Jesus fulfilled his mission, he won the prize for each and every one of us. He won success. He won approval. He won redemption. He won love. He won forgiveness. He won every single thing that you might be searching for to find security in who you are. Everything that you look for to, to, to identify with, he won those things. He did it all. Hebrews says he endured it all. Hebrews 12 says he endured it all and did not give up and is seated at the right hand of God and now he is the embodiment of satisfaction he is the embodiment of fulfillment and so you start your race before the gun goes off before you you're even at the starting line you start the race having won the prize I wonder what it would look like church if we pursued purpose not for approval but from approval I wonder what it would look like if we ran this race knowing we won because when you know you won you don't care if someone's running ahead of you you don't care if someone's running behind you you know that you won you know that they won because Jesus already won it all that's why the writer of Hebrews says look at Jesus look at Jesus he won it you're worried that you're held down you're worried that sin is holding you tightly but he won it even in your sin even in your sin, he won the prize. Even in your lowest of lows, in the midst, it says that while we were enemies, while we were enemies, Christ died. In the midst of your sin, Christ died for you. Christ loved you. Nothing can ever remove you from what God has called you to do. You can stop running, but the path will always be before you. We believe that God is a redeemer of time. You could backslide for five, ten years and come back, and in one year, it'll be like you never left because that's how God is. Look at Paul. Paul was an anti-Christian. Paul was stoning them. Paul had dedicated his life to a whole nother anti-gospel. Paul had dedicated his life to the law. Paul was a man who, who felt like he was the chief of sinners and in a couple of verses it's not even chapters later it's not even a time jump Paul goes from condemning to preaching to sitting with disciples and to, to being one of the most prolific writers of the gospel this is Paul and we think God can't do it with us but God already did it for us What, did we, what would it look like if we started to run differently? If we ran in a way where we no longer looked in the mirror, asking, how can I be better? And I'll take it deeper, because sometimes I don't say, how can I be better? I start saying, what are all the ways that I'm not? 
good enough. I literally, I used to think that I was too, this is a little funny, but it's real. I used to think I was too quirky to be a preacher. I was told I was going to be a pastor, I was going to preach, that, that that was within my line, and I thought, well, I need to be more verbose, and I need to be more serious, and I need to have a beard. I think some of you still agree with that one, but I used to think that those things defined me, that because I was called to be a preacher, I had to fit I had to fit into the mold of what a pastor and a preacher looks like. Not that before I existed, he knew the hairs on my head. That when God said I would be called to be a preacher, he molded me. He molded me. He formed me. The the, the, the Bible equates us to being like clay in the potter's hands. He formed me. He molded me. And here I am thinking I have to fit into a box, but it's not me fitting into a box. It, it's, it's, it's me being called. It's me being designed way before I ever existed. And so the very things that I have tried to weed out are some of the things that God has wanted to use so prolifically in my life to lead others to Jesus. What would it look like if we stopped caring about looking better and fitting a mold and just accepting that God already molded us? He already molded us. He already called us knowing we were going to fail. That's why he said Jesus into the picture in the first place. So what if we stopped asking, looking in the mirror and asking, how could I be better? But started looking at Jesus, fixing our eyes on Jesus and saying, how can I get closer? How can I get closer? Because if you have Jesus, church, you have it all. If you have Jesus, church, you have it all. You have won it all because Jesus ran and gave it all. There is not a single finger you have to lift. You can, can, I, can I tell you, can I let you in on a secret? You could never run your race. You can never do the things that God has called you to do. You can do that. It will not change the fact that you are more than a conqueror. It will not change the fact that God has called, has an amazing anointing over your life. It will not change the fact that God loves you. It will not change the fact that you are redeemed. It will not change any of those things. Would the world lose out on an amazing gift? Yes. I remember, and I always think about Pastor Rowe, he said that at 18, he heard the voice of God and say, there are people who will, who will not come to me, if I can paraphrase it, because they haven't heard the gospel preached from your lips. At 18 years old, he's 38 now. 38, I did the math right, right? 30 years later, I see a room filled with people. Can I tell you that Kuhau is a church of first-time baptisms? That we have so many people who have encountered God in this place for the first time and given their life to God for the first time? And if that is not a fulfillment of a man who ran his race, stumbling and obstacles and all, this worship team is not perfect. I know all you guys personally. 
God doesn't love them because they run their race, but because they run their race, they usher this room into a place where we are before the presence of God. Can we be a church that runs our race, not for fulfillment, but from fulfillment? Can we run our race with this in the back of our mind, that before we ever started, Jesus said it's finished. And on your weakest moments, when you feel held down and when you feel held back, that you will know it's finished. It's finished. Jesus already finished it. And if he finished it, he can empower me to run it. And if you just fix your eyes on him, you will run with determination. Can we stand up on our feet and pray? Lord, I, I thank you for Christ Uncensored. I ask that we may be a church that runs our race, that we just move with speed, not because we need to, not because you want, we want you to be impressed with us, but because you've already said we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that we run from a place of fulfillment, God. I pray that we may embody this message and that in this week you may give us the opportunity to live it out. And if you're here and you're new, it's the first time that you've heard about this Jesus or it's the 10,000th time you've heard about this Jesus, but maybe it's the first time you want to place your faith in him. I would like to invite you to do that. Life with Jesus, there's no prerequisites. You can come as you are. I just spent this message saying that it's finished. It, there's, no, there's nothing you have to do. You simply just have to accept him in your life. And if I could just say one thing, what he offers is a life where you're not striving, where it doesn't land on you. He says that his yoke is easy. And he offers you a life of fulfillment. God wants a relationship with you. If you would like to do that, I'm just going to count to three to give you a chance to meditate on that. And at the end of the count, if you would like to place your faith in Jesus, just simply raise your hand softly. And we want to pray with you and we want to pray together as a symbol of your acceptance. I'm going to count one, two, three. For those who've raised their hand, um, well, we're all going to actually say this prayer together because we believe no one walks this journey alone. No one. And we're going to say it with you. So just repeat after me. Jesus, come into my life. I want to begin a relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Our mission here at Christ Uncensored House of Worship is to love God, love people, and love life. Kuhau is a place where our story is still being written. Together, we can do more than we can ever do alone. If this message has encouraged you and you wish to partner with us in taking this message all across the world, go to kuhau.com give or follow us on any social media platform. Thank you in advance for your support and generosity. Come and begin a whole new journey with us.